0: use these next few minutes, what I'm going to say, the thoughts that we are going to think, Lord, to help us know you better and follow you more. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I want to welcome those of you who are watching online, those of you here today. Happy Father's Day. Great to have all of you with us. I want to start with a question that I actually asked last week, and that is, who, who tells you what is good for you and what isn't good for you? Who guides you toward those things that are going to give you life or those things that are going to take it away from you? What is it? Is it the culture? Is it the people around you? Who are those guides and are they reliable? When my wife and I lived in California, we would often vacation up here. And my wife is, as I've said before, very frugal. And one time she found this hotel in a guidebook that used words to describe it like charming and unique setting. So you know that that's going to be a problem, right? Turns out it was on Aurora Avenue in Seattle. And I said, you know, that's not really a very good part of town. But she said, look how cheap it is. So we went and it smelled bad and it was dirty, evidence of rats sort of all over the place. And our daughter was one year old at the time and she just sat on the floor depressed. She would not move. She just sat there just kind of depressed. And then a little bit in my wife said, what are those dents on the wall? And I looked and I said, I think they're bullet holes. (laughs) About an hour later we had moved to a more expensive hotel in Seattle. And when we got there, we walked in the room, and my one-year-old started running around the room and laughing and smiling. It was just so much happier. So even that one-year-old, she had four-star taste. <laughs> Problem was, she had one-star parents. right? That guidebook did not lead us to abundant life. It led us to Aurora, and that's not the same thing. In the passage that we read today, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, come to lead my sheep toward abundant life. Now, if you have been around the church at all, that phrase, good shepherd, probably conjures images of pictures you saw in Sunday school. Maybe like this one, or my personal favorite, this one. (laughs) That is one happy Jesus, right? That is a happy shepherd, right? I hate these pictures, Hey, For one thing, they idealize sheep, okay? My grandfather raised sheep. They smell bad. They poop a lot. No way. Do you want to hold a little one in your hand? No way. Worse though, they, they do not show what a shepherd is actually all about, and they make Jesus look like a wimp. Here's the thing. Your, our lives will be no bigger than the God we follow. So if that's the kind of huh, life you want, stick with that. But the real Jesus is more dangerous than that. More dangerous, bigger, more interesting. When he says, I am the good shepherd, that is not a comforting little platitude. For starters, he's claiming to be God because God is depicted as a shepherd throughout Scripture. But more than that, it is a radical, challenging, scandalous, kind of dangerous, scary statement, which is why it causes a riot at the end. It, and if we understand it, it will make our lives bigger and bolder and more filled with joy. It's a bold statement that can lead to bold living. And since shepherd is kind of a foreign concept for us, I'm just guessing none, none of you majored in shepherding in college or anything like that. I wanna, and we've got these images in our head from Sunday school that are kind of misleading. I want to use this sermon to talk about what a shepherd actually did in Jesus' day, how that makes Jesus look bigger, and how that can make our lives bigger and more dynamic. For starters, when he says he's a shepherd, what he really means is he's a warrior. Now, we don't think of it that way, but a shepherd's primary job, if a wolf or wild animal came, shepherd's primary job was to fight that wild animal off, usually with his bare hands. That is a dangerous shepherd. And that's what Jesus means when he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, by thief in this passage, Jesus means the false religious teachers of his day... But he also means the devil, who tries to steal your joy, kill your relationship with God, and destroy any sense of wholeness in your life. And there are three lies the devil uses to get us off track. Three lies. Let me just list them. See if, any of the, see if you heard any of these lies this week. Lie number one, you're on your own. God does not have your back. And that causes us to put our hope in all kinds of things that disappoint If your hope for fulfillment is in sex, it's going to disappoint. It'll set you on an endless itinerary of desire, trying to find the perfect experience, but you never get there. If your hope for fulfillment is in career, it's going to let you down. Eventually, you don't get the promotion, or you get it, and it doesn't satisfy. If your hope for fulfillment in life is in parenting, God bless you. Just, I pray for you, because that will also disappoint you and break your heart at various points. Lie number two, God's trying to keep you from having fun. That's what he's at. He's your aunt Tilly in the sky wanting to keep you from having fun. And that causes us to then do all kinds of things that feel good for a little bit, but then cause pain down the road and avoid all kinds of things that are hard, even if actually they're going to be more rewarding. And then lie number three, gravity, the downward pull of life is always going to win, which denies the power of the resurrected Jesus to make all things new and leaves us depressed and discouraged and settling for less in life. The devil comes to destroy, but Jesus fights him to bring life and to bring it to the full. Not to keep you from having fun, but to give you a life where you are getting free from shame. A life where success doesn't make you and failure doesn't break you. A life where you feel connected to God, have joy even when it's tough times, and meaning and purpose in life. Someone sent me something a little kind of saying that said, if you can start your day without caffeine, if you can always be cheerful, if you can overlook it when those you love take it out on you when something goes wrong, if you can resist treating a rich friend better than a poor friend, if you can sleep well every night, and if you can eat the same food every day and be excited about it, then congratulations, you're almost as good as your dog. (laughs) Not a bad description of a dog, not a bad description of abundant life, actually. This week I heard a, about a woman who was in a car, a car hit her, and she ended up in a coma. Eventually she got out of the coma. She's in tons of pain. But she was talking about how Jesus is using it for good. It's not easy, but she said, you know what, in this I actually feel closer to God, ironically, She said, I've also seen just how much my husband loves me and it's brought us closer together. And she said, plus, I've started to tell people here in the hospital that Jesus is good. And the thing is, I'm in so much pain and my life is such a mess right now that if even I can say it, they sort of have to listen to me. They don't have to listen to pastors, but they have to listen to me. That's Jesus fighting what the enemy meant to harm her, to bring her good. He is a warrior fighting the enemy, fighting for your soul. And he calls us to be co-warriors with him, to fight, to undo the damage the devil has done, not with the weapons of this world, but with his weapons of love and hope. When I was in Cambodia last year, we met a man named Kevin who several years ago went to Cambodia with his church and then felt nudged by the Holy Spirit to stay, help folks who are being unfairly driven off their land by the government. And one of the first things you notice about Kevin is he is very happy. He, He smiles to excess. It's actually kind of annoying. And he said that one time he was at a bus station in Cambodia and his bus was late. He was kind of bugged about that. And then a fight broke out because one guy tried to steal another man's luggage. And the guy with the luggage was hitting the thief with a chair. So Kevin felt nudged by God to do something. So he stood in the middle between these two guys to stop the fight. Meanwhile, about 30 Cambodians gathered around him and he said to the one man, okay, this guy tried to steal your luggage, but nobody deserves what you're doing to him. And then he said to the thief, look, you don't have to live this way. Jesus can give you a different life. And you don't have to wait until the next life and have your crimes paid for in the next life. Jesus can erase your bad karma now. And the guy did not become a Christian, but, but he was interested. And 30 Cambodians got to hear that they were not slaves to their karma. Slowly, everyone kind of calmed down. They shook hands. Thief went off with the cops. Later on, Kevin went to follow up with him. Then his bus came, and as Kevin sat down, the woman next to him said, you did a good thing. You'll be repaid in the next life. (laughs) So Kevin said, well, can I tell you how to be repaid in this one? Had a great conversation with her. Now, he didn't use the power, the the, the weapons of this world, power, intimidation. He used love and grace and hope and forgiveness. He was a co-warrior with Jesus to turn a bummer of a situation, a late bus and a fight into kind of a cool adventure and fight the enemy's attempts to steal, kill, and destroy. And oh, by the way, don't dismiss that story by going, oh yeah, missionaries in foreign countries, they do amazing things. No, there are bus stops here too. You can do it. Jesus is a warrior. Second, second thing Jesus means when he says that he's a shepherd, he's a personal guide. Jesus says, I know my sheep and they know me. Now we think all sheep look the same, but an actual shepherd can spot his sheep out of hundreds by the spots on their wool and all sorts of things and sheep interestingly know their master's voice in fact there's a story recently about a palestinian woman who asked an israeli guard if she could call her sheep out of a herd of hundreds of them that had been captured and the guard kind of smirked and said if you can her son pulled out a flute played this simple little melody pretty soon all her sheep popped their heads up started walking toward the boy Sheep actually recognize their shepherds, the shepherd's voice. It's about the only thing sheep can do, but they recognize their master's voice. Here's the thing. Jesus knows you better than you know you. Jesus actually knows what you want better than you know what you want. You don't actually know what you want. Jesus knows better. That means he can lead you through scripture, through nudges, through what people say, lead you to experiences that maybe you wouldn't pick for yourself, but that are actually going to give you more joy. Like Kevin. He used to run a multi-million dollar company. And if someone had said, you know, you're going to go to Cambodia and be a missionary, he might have thrown up at that point. But he has never had more joy. And I don't know about you, but this is where this metaphor of shepherd gets kind of, kind of, I don't know, kind of of not flattering. Because if Jesus is a shepherd, well, then that means that we're sheep. And I've been around sheep, sheep, they're not, it's not like the coolest animal, you know, like, why couldn't God be my falconer instead of my shepherd so I could be an eagle or something, right? Sheep, I mean, they're dirty, they smell, they are dumb as a post. I mean, they, I mean, have you ever seen a trained sheep? Mm -mm. Ever seen a sheep fetch? Uh Uh-uh, never happens, right? They're completely defenseless, nobody is ever afraid of a sheep, right? You never hear in a movie someone go, eek, a sheep, run for your lives, right? They're done, and they're always getting lost, unlike cats and dogs. They can't find their way home. They just get panicked and lost more. That's, that's what God says about us in a way, right? And it's, it's true. I get lost. I lose my way. I need a shepherd to guide me. So the question is, who's guiding you? Who are you listening to? What are you paying attention to? What are you focused on? I got an email a few weeks ago from a man who knows that timely response to email is not my spiritual gift. And in the subject heading he put mariner's tickets. And I opened it and he said, I knew if I put that in the subject line, you'd open it right away. (laughs) Busted, right? Like so I didn't answer it for a couple of days just to that's what I pay attention to, right? He figured me out. What do you pay? What do you what do you pay attention to? What are you following? lots of things but do we obey Jesus when he says here's what's going to give you real joy connection to me connection to other people and meaning and purpose beyond yourself warrior personal guide third Jesus as shepherd is also a recruiter this is very challenging Jesus says i have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen i must bring them also What he's talking about are the Gentiles, which was scandalous because Jews hated Gentiles, considered them morally unclean. So Jesus is basically saying here, I'm not just your shepherd, I'm that person's shepherd over there, that person who votes different than you, who looks different than you, who has a different lifestyle than you, that person who maybe you don't like because they annoy you. I'm their shepherd too. And if that's not challenging enough, Jesus goes on and he says this, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. In other words, I expect you all to get along. As I've said before, church is the one place where the person you least want to see is always there. That's what's great about church. It forces us into a bigger community than we would pick for ourselves. I can remember in my former church, we once got a letter from a woman complaining that there were some non-Christian kids going to the youth group. Well, you can see the problem, right? (laughs) And she said, some of them smoke and they cuss and they don't even dress up to go to church. And she had this great phrase, people like that don't belong in church. Well, I remember we got that letter and I remember saying something like, man, she is so judgmental. I mean, she's just, I can't stand people who judge other people. And then someone said, well, Jesus wants her in the church too. No, he doesn't. Actually, he does. That's part of what community is. It's sort of like a poem I once read about a man who goes to heaven. And it says, I was shocked, confused, bewildered as I entered heaven's door. Not by the beauty of it all or the lights or the decor. It was the folks in heaven that made me gasp. There stood the kid from seventh grade who swiped my lunch money twice. Next to him was my old neighbor who never said anything nice. Herb, who I always thought was rotten away in hell, was sitting pretty on cloud nine looking incredibly well. I nudged Jesus, what's the deal? I'd like to hear your take. How'd all these sinners get here? Has there been some kind of mistake? And why is everyone so quiet and somber? Give me a clue. Hush," he said. They're all in shock. No one thought they'd see you. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. But here's how this makes our life bigger. It's challenging, but here's how it makes our life bigger. It puts us with people we wouldn't have picked. Expands our world. One of my best friends is a guy I couldn't stand in college, and then we worked together in a church we've been friends for 30 years. That's how Jesus as a shepherd is kind of challenging. He may want you to be best friends with someone you don't like right now. Warrior, personal guide, recruiter, and finally Jesus as shepherd means he's the transformer, our transformer. Here's what I mean. Shepherds in Jesus' day were the dregs of society. They're considered morally unclean because they worked with animals, considered thieves because they were migrant workers. If you so much as brushed up against a shepherd, you would be considered unclean and couldn't go to the temple. So any of you who got the part of shepherd in the Christmas play, you got the bad part. But by comparing himself to shepherd, Jesus transforms this unpopular profession into something meaningful and valuable. See, when the psalmist says, the Lord is my shepherd, that is a shocking line. It's like saying, the Lord is my garbage collector, which, if you think about it, he is. Or maybe better yet, the Lord is my recycler. He takes the trash in my life, recycles it, and uses it for good. That's Jesus. It's interesting. In spite of how despised shepherds were, they had one important religious function. They provided lambs to be slaughtered for the atonement of sin in the temple. But here's what's interesting. On the cross, Jesus the shepherd becomes Jesus the lamb who pays the price for our sins. Transforming sin and shame into love and grace and freedom and redemption. And we will rise again with him. The Lord is my recycler. I shall not want. So that's Jesus as shepherd. I want to say a word about sheep. Real briefly, real quickly, that's Jesus as a shepherd. What about sheep? What, what, what do we need to do to be good sheep? What's our response as sheep? And the church throughout the age has been really good at long lists of things for, to keep sheep busy. But Jesus boils it down to three really simple things. He says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. That's it. Listen, know them in a personal way, follow them. Quickly, let me just describe each one. Listen to him. As I've said before, he speaks through the Bible, through prayer and those thoughts that pop in our heads that maybe aren't our thoughts. In worship, maybe it's a line in a song or something someone says in a sermon or to you afterwards. And just like sheep recognize the distinctive quality of the shepherd's voice, Jesus' voice has some distinctive qualities to it that we can use to recognize whether it's Jesus or not. Let me give you just quickly a couple of the distinctive qualities of Jesus' voice. First, you know it's Jesus if it aligns with Scripture. Second, you know it's Jesus if it gives affirmation as opposed to a compliment. Compliment is based on something you do. Affirmation is who you are, the core of who you are. Jesus affirms. Whether that's in a thought in your head or something someone says, Jesus affirms. He doesn't compliment. doesn't flatter. Third, you know it's Jesus if it gives critique and conviction rather than condemnation and shame. Critique and conviction say, here's what you have done wrong and how you can grow. Condemnation says you are wrong, and it's shame. Jesus doesn't do that. And then fourth, you know it's Jesus if it's quirky, unusual, or funny. All throughout the Bible, God always has these quirky little things he says. One of my favorites is, and I've read it here before, one of my favorites is when the Israelites are complaining about not having any meat, God says, and this is a direct quote, God says, I'll give them meat. I'll give them meat until it comes out their noses. So kind of snarky, right? I like it when God gets snarky. All throughout scripture, there are these quirky little things God says or does. One of our elders in this church whose wife is a choir director says that becoming a Christian for him was this slow intellectual process. I mean, his wife was a choir director. She was in. But for him, lots of books, lots of reading, very slow, intellectual. Well, one day he was on a ferry and for some reason just started singing this country western song that popped into his head. And there was a line that said, Jesus, come into my life. And he was just singing it mindlessly. And then he stopped and realized that he'd just become a Christian in a way. And I love how God works. His wife is a choir director. Classical music, country. He becomes a Christian through country music. Jesus is just funny, right? He just likes to do weird and kind of quirky things. Listen to his voice. Second, sheep know him in a personal way. Not just head knowledge, but personally, that's what this passage is getting at. And then third, sheep follow the shepherd. And the Greek word Jesus uses to fo- says, follow me, it actually means walk around with me. Walk around with me. As you do your job, parenting, school, talk talk to Jesus. Look for ways to be part of what he's doing right there. Like Kevin, who found a way to be part of God's redemption right there in a bus stop. And as we do that, Jesus, our shepherd, leads us to what he calls abundant life. Harder but bigger and deeper and bolder and richer. That's how Jesus as shepherd is a challenge. Harder, but bigger and better. Just heard a story from Jubilee Reach, a Christian organization started by this church. And as you know, it has been invited by the Bellevue School District to run the sports programs in the Bellevue Public Middle Schools. Well, one of our coaches emailed us not too long ago, and he said, I know I should never give up on any kid, but if there is anyone who tested my patience to the point of giving up, it was Ted not the kid's real name. Well, it turns out last spring, Ted was suspended for setting a fire in the boys' bathroom. And this year, when the year started, when he joined the soccer team, Ted was failing in three classes. So this coach started going to Ted's algebra class with him to help him. Eventually, Ted got his grades up so he could join the team. Well, after, after one of the games, knowing his reputation, one of, another student sort of dared Ted to spray the fire extinguisher all over the gym floor. Ted caved into peer pressure, caused a whole lot of damage, and the coach said, I felt so disappointed in him. Thought we were making progress. Well, the next day, Ted was suspended, which meant that he couldn't be on the team anymore. And that night, the coach got an email from Ted. And this is what Ted wrote. He said, hi, coach, it's Ted. I just wanted to say I'm really sorry for letting you down and the rest of the team. You were probably counting on me as well as everyone else. I don't really know where I'm going in life or what my future is. I've always wanted to coach or play professional sports or just be associated with it, but no one believes me. I don't blame them. All I do is cause trouble and get bad grades. I'm trying to rise above it. I don't know. You don't have to help me anymore, I understand. I'm just going to try to go on my own, but thanks for all your help, I really do owe you, Ted. Well, in his email to us, the coach said, This is what he wrote, I got over my disappointment. Kept showing up in his algebra class to help him even though he wasn't on the team anymore. On Saturdays, I'd meet him at the library to help him with his work and he told me he was sincere about making the right choices. In March, Ted came to our championship game to cheer us on even though he couldn't play. Ted came up to me last week to say that his GPA has doubled, that he's grateful that I kept hanging out with him, that he's grateful that I helped him with his math, that he's grateful that I kept going to class and it's paying off because his GPA has doubled. But most importantly, he's hanging around a better group of friends. I never really got to be Ted's coach, but I'm more grateful for the impact that was made on his life and I'm grateful for the ways that I got to be a part of it. That's Jesus as shepherd. Shepherding that coach, nudging him to fight to be a warrior, to fight for Ted's future when the enemy was trying to steal it away, to keep showing up in that math class even though Ted wasn't there, show up in the libraries every Saturday or even though Ted wasn't on the team to help him out fighting alongside Jesus for Ted's life. And Jesus gave him vision and patience. And through him, Jesus spoke to Ted, guided Ted, recruited Ted into his community when everyone else was giving up on him and used what the enemy meant for evil and turned it around into good. And both Ted and the coach got a bigger, richer life. Joy in spite of setbacks, meaning and purpose, connection to Jesus and others. That's what Jesus as shepherd can do. Not some anemic, wimpy, scarcely alive guy in those pictures. No, he is sovereign Lord, almighty God, everlasting Father who leads us to a harder life, who challenges us, but it's a deeper, more abundant life. So how can you let him be your shepherd this week? Fight alongside of him to push back what the enemy's trying to do. Resist those lies. Walk around with him in your office or your school looking for opportunities to be part of what he's doing and listen for his voice and do what he tells you to do. And you'll begin to live the eternal kind of life now. As the hymn we sing says, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry till final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. That is, he's my shepherd. He guides me. No power in hell. Nothing the devil can cook up. No scheme of man. Nothing anyone can say or do can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. That's how Jesus as shepherd leads us to a more abundant life. So Jesus, like a shepherd, lead us, and we will follow. Lord, we do not know where the good water is. We do not know where the green pastures are. Only you do. So Jesus, like a shepherd, lead us. Fight for us. We will follow you. In your name, Lord. Amen.